He konai purangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. I'm just going to look at another email I just received. If there's any extra there. Uh, no, the Queen has died and uh, long live the King. Well, that TV reporter was not the only one stumped by the breaking news that Queen Elizabeth II had died. It's no easy thing to say the right things and strike the right tone with the beady eye of a live camera on you. But this was also the single most anticipated and prepared for news event in media history. Obituaries for the Queen had been collected, compiled, composed and updated over many years, the library growing ever larger the longer that she lived, and media around the world had theirs ready to roll on Friday. Here, stuff had special supplements prepared for its papers and even handed them out for free on the streets, while the Herald had a picture-rich one for the weekend, thanking the Queen for everything. And when the news broke soon after 5.45 on Friday, TVNZ crashed out of a Takata de Bulletin and into its prepared announcement by Simon Dallow. It is with sadness we inform you of the death of Her Majesty the Queen. Buckingham Palace has just confirmed Queen Elizabeth II has died at the age of 96. That sparse and simple delivery, segueing into sombre music and images, mirrored the BBC's own procedure for what they call a Category A royal death. The idea is to break the news without the usual urgency, but with the greatest possible dignity and solemnity. But plans have changed in more recent times. Set-piece plans for the death of the Queen Mother 25 years ago called for the immediate suspension of most live programming at the BBC and even the commercial broadcasters there agreed to five days without advertising. Entertainment programmes over the following two months at the BBC were to be scrubbed of any royal references or even shelved. Now that plan was wound back after the circumstances of the death of Princess Diana 25 years ago rendered most of that plan redundant that particular night. But the morning after the Queen died last Friday, BBC hosts were back on the air in the UK with the freedom to connect with their audiences like this. When I was watching the news last night, you're immediately reminded of uh, a personal bereavement and uh, that is upsetting. It's an upsetting thing. So whatever you're feeling today, it's OK to feel those ways. And also, huge respect to everybody who's messaging in who's having to go into work and be normal. Like this person who says, Greg, hi, I'm a student nurse on my way to a placement today. It's going to be very strange to be on a busy ward today. Well, look, we are here. If you need friendly, familiar voices, we'll be with you on Radio 1 throughout the day. DJ Greg James there on BBC Radio 1. But what to include and exclude from official obituary tributes is a tricky choice. Public figures are often controversial, and for TVNZ, Nicole Bremner chose not to gloss over some unhappy events, including these. But times were changing while on walkabout in Dunedin in 1981, there was a botched assassination attempt. 17-year-old Christopher Lewis fired a rifle in the vicinity of the Queen. Clearly the Queen had become fair game to anti-royalists and protesters alike. The treaty had for many become a symbol of grievance, not celebration. We have not honoured each other in the promises that we made on this sacred ground. The Queen acknowledging the problems. The treaty has been imperfectly observed. 
Now, undoubtedly, many people here who were asked about the Queen's death by the media did feel it personally, such as this woman on, appropriately, Queen Street. I felt like my mother had died again, actually. Um, she's, she's been the mother of the UK for such a long time. But it's not just in New Zealand that people were telling reporters things like that. When Reuters asked around in Kingston in Jamaica, which also had the Queen as its head of state, one woman told them this. She's everybody's mother. She's one of the most outstanding persons and women in my lifetime. But soon after that, a younger bloke, running a leaf blower, told Reuters this. Doesn't really mean anything to me. Let's hope. Down with the monarchy, whatever. We, We don't need kings and queens anymore. So the monarchy and the Queen herself meant different things to different people, but in London last Friday night, News Hub's Lisette Raymer was put in the position of speaking for an entire population when she was asked how the British were coping. No one here is ready to forget her, absolutely not. Everyone's still very much mourning and honouring her memory and wanting to cling to it. But that walkabout outside Buckingham Palace today, coupled with the speech this evening, has provided people with a great deal of comfort. In the US, British journalism professor Emily Bell said that she was staggered to see the New York Times going tribute-heavy on Friday for someone else's sovereign and that it had ended up looking like an edition of the picture post from 1952. But the New York Times also echoed Emily Bell in calling Queen Elizabeth II a media queen whose life bookended the electronic media era. Her televised coronation was a broadcast landmark, she'd said, while her death was announced via social media by the palace. Now, New Zealanders who were not much invested in the royal family or Queen Elizabeth II's 70 years as monarch would not have been much moved by the wall-to-wall coverage in most of our media from Friday on. One talkback caller asked on Friday if a serving New Zealand Governor-General had died, would the media go as big on that? Fair point. But a change at the top in the UK and in the head of state of 14 other countries, including ours, is certainly a globally significant story and an historic moment, undoubtedly. For a neutral international news agency like Reuters, though, asking the question, how will Queen Elizabeth's reign be remembered, was tricky. Some commentators describe her reign as a golden age, but others say her impact on Britain was less profound, Reuters concluded. And when posing the question, will Britain's monarchy survive the Queen's death, Reuters hedged its bets with, such was the depth of respect for the Queen, the institution looked safe, but what comes next may be less certain. For some people, even far away in New Zealand, it was too soon to be raising any such questions. Though former Prime Minister Jim Bolger willingly told TBNZ this week that he talked about republicanism in depth with the Queen herself in the UK many years ago. And come Saturday morning, a live News Hub Nation special on three talked about all that at some length as well. The Minister of Māori Crown Relations, Kelvin Davis, told the programme that now's not the time. Well, I think we should at least wait until after the funeral service, which is 10 days after her passing. Mm. Uh, but there'll be time over the coming weeks and months to uh, have a conversation about what next. But the programme pressed the issue with others. Uh, we'd certainly be getting ahead of ourselves if we started talking about it, but nonetheless, you've posed the question. Uh, we, we as Māori... Certainly here in the Taitokero, hold He Whakaputanga, the Declaration of Independence 1835, uh, along with Te Tiriti o Waitangi uh, 1840, really uh, steadfastly. And like I say, the tide will come in and out at Waitangi, but the land will endure and so will the people. Tightly we hold 
Titiriti o Waitangi, he whakaputanga, and what that may mean for a republic or remaining with what we have now. That was Peter Tetepene, chairman of the Waitangi National Trust Board, after which constitutional lawyer Mei Chen told News Hub Nation the change would be much more than just swapping out one head of state for another. And anyway... The reality is that we are effectively a republic. The power comes from the people, and actually we're governed by the government of the day. The, the, the question is whether New Zealanders think there's a burning platform. Well, time will tell if there's any public appetite for that here with a monarchy under new management. But soon after that, News Hub Nation moved on from the Queen's death, life and legacy altogether and back to its business as usual of domestic politics and analysis from a politically connected panel of PR professionals. James Shaw is back. Shane DePoe, any surprises? No, all a bit silly when you think about it, you know. However, one of the political pundits on that programme, Sarah Sparks, also made a good personal point about the Queen. If you think about the context of the institution of monarchy that she had to operate within, and like the everyday person, she has experienced crisis and chaos in her own whānau. More than most, yes. (laughs) And what you can see within her own whānau, very beloved... The new king has also experienced decades of that sort of chaos too, driven by a tabloid-type media much more hostile to him than the Queen, and mostly just for the purpose of their own profits. And the same goes for his siblings and sons and their children and their partners, and they're far less likely now to play ball with the media in the same way as Queen Elizabeth II. So now that Charles is in charge, that's something the media might want to ponder.